Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, and this week I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And the first time on the podcast, Maya Brooker. Hello. Andrew um, Brooker's wife. Oh, sorry. I was going to, I was trying not to say it, but it just blurted out. <laughs> Maya Brooker, aka Andrew Brooker's wife. Yes. Yes. As I keep teasing uh, over the past few weeks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's great to have you on, though, Maya, because. Um, if for no other reason than you're upping the quota of Dudley like, because <laughs> you're an adopted daughter of my hometown. I am, yeah. Spent two years of uni there. Loved it. Dudley's got a university. No, no, no. Dudley. <laughs> Do you know what? It doesn't. But in an episode of Little Britain, they took the piss out of that by having Dudley University. Yeah, no, it's Wolverhampton Uni. It was a Dudley campus. Right. Why, why are you so <laughs> incredulous that Dudley would have educated people? Just we were the only ones. Yeah, I was going to say it is confined to a very small part of the town, just on the edge. But so. I mean, you, you just said, you know, why? Why don't you think Dudley has educated people or doesn't have educated people? I talk to you every week. Yeah, uh, I mean, set myself so, up for that one. Yeah, yeah. You set it up. I'll knock them down. Exactly. Um, we got as in in honor of having a woman on the podcast after losing the quiz last week. Owen's got to review softcore porn. Excellent. That was just <laughs> typical, wasn't it? The timing of that. It was just like I felt like should I how how much should I go into this film? And then I thought, no, fuck it. I'll be listening intently. Anyway, so yes, Owen lost the quiz last week, and um, in a quest to make him watch something terrible, mm-hmm. I suppose the the Emmanuel films are kind of quite renowned in the world of softcore porn aren't they they're like, like, like the most mainstream kind of films in that bracket they are the upmarket softcore porn yeah it's the kind of ones you'd get on channel 5 at 11 o'clock on a friday night probably yeah. like, like a while ago when channel 5 used to do that it's it's basically porn that you can air on tv that's what yeah. it is yeah um and i found the one with the most ridiculous concept which was emmanuel in space right great yeah. So basically, okay, I'll give a bit of background. So the where, Emmanuel- where did you where where did you find it in case anyone else would like to watch oh, it? Oh uh, yeah, it was on YouTube. So it's basically yeah, porn that you can upload. I know what I'm doing later. Uh, well, save your uh, you know keep your pants on for the time being because the okay the Emmanuel films are almost all exclusive. There's loads of them, right? But they all exclusively follow the character of Emmanuel, who is a woman. On a voyage, voyage, voyage of sexual self-discovery. It's, it's soft porn and French is voyage, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's not voyage. It was originally a French novel as well. So it, it was from um, 1959, right? It's more famous for being softcore pornography rather than, you know, erotic literature. Uh, because in 1974, it was adapted into a feature film. And that feature film became one of the highest grossing X-rated films ever in France. It's, George Lazenby's in one of them. He is. He's in one of them. Um, and the main plot of the original movie, the 1974 movie, um, apparently, is uh, that Emmanuel was going to Bangkok. And I mean that as a known and a verb. <laughs> she went to Bangkok to Bangkok. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Emmanuel in Space, which Steve was so keen to make me watch, is not one feature film, Steve. It is actually a series of feature length made for TV softcore pornography. Oh, right. Well, how many did you watch? And how many is in the series? There... <laughs> 
<laughs> I plucked one at random. Uh, bet you wondered where that sentence was going then. I, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which happened to be the sixth episode from the seven episode series, which Ooh. was called One Final Fling. It's a bit strange for a second last episode to be called One Final Fling. Uh, yeah, yeah, precisely. You know. But that's it makes like, you wonder what's going on next. That's that's the French. For you. <laughs> um, yeah. What would the final? I don't know what the final episode would be. They're just packing the bags and heading for home. Um, but in the first few minutes of this of Emmanuel in space, they decide to head to Greece. The planet Greece. The no, the no, yeah. Oh, what was there was an actual? Oh, they're looking through the window on the spaceship, and uh, she sees Greece on the porthole. Get it? Because greasy porthole is like a oh, you know God. euphemism for yeah. That's 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 the level that we're dealing with here, right? <laughs> so they go to Greece, the country, and Emmanuel dresses as Athena, or you know Athena, and the bloke dresses as Zeus. And they get it on. Of course, they get it on. Um, which is only weird because, I mean, I'm not up on my Greek mythology, but Athena is the god of wisdom. And she's the god of wisdom, among other things, because she was born fully armed from Zeus's forehead. Right? So immediately, the film starts off by having Zeus shag his daughter, effectively. Hang on. More, more confusingly than uh-huh, that, uh-huh. they're in a spaceship and they've gone to ancient Greece. No, Greece. Just Greece. The modern Greece, but they're dressing up as Athena and Zeus. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, full garb and all that jazz. In a spaceship? Nope, on the actual planet Earth. So they're, they're dressed <laughs> they as... They teleport. They were there. on a spaceship. They were on a spaceship. They, tele- they teleport to modern day Greece, mm-hmm. but dress up as... as Ancient Greeks, and and then do some bonking. By Jove, he's got it. Yes, <laughs> right. It's it's very confusing. I mean, I've seen Inception and just struggled less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This well, the plot is thin. Uh, thin is a very very light way of describing because it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at any point in the entire. 30 minutes of the film that I managed to watch before switching it off and calling quits. Oh, you cheated. I cheated. Is it trying to make sense? No. Nope. Mm-mm. It's a series of escapades where they go around bonking. And you turned it off after 30 minutes. 30, I, I didn't need any more than 30 minutes, Maya. I, um... <laughs> <laughs> so from what I'm gathering, yeah. the spaceship is merely a vehicle for them to travel to different locations where they can dress up in different costumes to do some bonking. Yep. That's it. Right. It's just that's that's the only reason it's in Manuel in space. The space part is irrelevant. I mean, it may have been integral to the plot early on in the series. I don't know, but in this one, it's just non-existent. So I thought, what the fuck is the actual plot here? What is the story? <laughs> what <laughs> like, is the point? Yeah. What is the what is the point of this? So I uh, had a look at um, IMDb, and the the plot description. The plot summary from IMDb for episode six, One Final Fling, is Emmanuel is travelling the Amazon on a boat as part of a fashion shoot crew. She discovers that the captain of the boat is a notorious jewel thief. What the fuck? That is not at any point. Are they, they, they're never on a boat. 
in the first 30 minutes. There's no jewellery. They're naked for most of it. It's nothing I like think you, what's happening. I think you need to watch all of it. In sequence. There might be a boat later on. Maybe it- I think you need to start from episode one, carry it through hmm. to the end. And I mean, would, would, how, would, were the sex scenes any good? No. You know, I'm not in. I mean, they were euphemistic more so than pornographic, I'll say. Like eating cherries I, I, with cream. I, don't think I've, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen a euphemistic sex scene, but. <laughs> like, but literally feeding each other stuff in a, you know, erotic way. I mean, first of all, they're using cherries with cream, and they've clearly got a stone in them. So, I mean, that's not going to work. You know. Shoving cherries into each other's gob, but then you know, anyway, cracking their own teeth on shit. Mm. So, I love the fact that the cherries are making you concerned. That's my concern. Yeah, this no, they haven't thought this through, have they? Uh, um, did you did you watch this film on your own or with your good lady wife? I watched it this morning. Uh, I started at about ten thirty. You've not answered my question. With, <laughs> with my wife, yeah, we watched it. Oh, no, lovely. Yeah, lovely. it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> What did she think of it? Um, she was finding it more funny than I was. I was just pissed off with it. I think there is, okay, there was my favourite bit, right? They're lying on a bed together and uh, Paul Michael Robinson, who's the, the, the protagonist, I guess, for want of a better phrase for what he is, uh, he says to Emmanuel, who's played by Christa Allen, um, that it's hotter than a witch's tit. I, th- I thought it was flatter than a witch. It was the, was the no, phrase. so she no. That's no, not that, it either, that's Steve. The, that's the that's the common. Nope. It, no? no, no. He says it's hotter than a witch's tit, right? Which is a jarring dialogue, anyway. Never. And again, you know, in a softcore pornography, that's probably the least of your issues. So um, she says, "I think you mean colder than a witch's tit." To which he says, "No, I'm hot." What the... F- I mean, then they teleport to a cabin. I mean, this is... I don't know whether it's intentionally a joke, but they teleport to a cabin in the Rocky Mountains straight after that scene where they're both wearing massive, like, fur coats. And then he complains that it's so cold. Like, that first thing... I mean, is this intentional? Is this meant to be funny? Just for fuck's sake, sort it out. Just... Do you know what, you know what is funny? What? You, you were in bed... With your good lady wife watching a naughty film, no, we and I and I and I was in your head the whole time. I need to <laughs> clarify: we were not in bed; we were downstairs. In the Either room. way, I was in your I was in your head the whole time. Yeah, that's always the case, though, Steve. Well, yeah. Um, mm. So I'm not going to give it a proper review because I don't think it deserves it, and I didn't well, finish it because you didn't. Yeah, you yeah. didn't watch all of it. I tried. I mean, it might have got it might have got better. Oh, it fucking certainly didn't improve one iota through the first thirty minutes. I doubt it was like <laughs> fucking Kubrickian in the final hour. But they may um, have hit their stride. <laughs> yeah, found the, found their rhythm, yeah. so to speak. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you can call me a welcher if you want, Steve, but this is utter, utter fucking bollocks. <laughs> is, it the, is it worse than Essex Space Bin? No. And... Is it no. worse than Kill Keith? Yes. Yeah. Right. Because Kill Keith has a structure and a point, you know. It's comedy. It's not very funny Someone, Someone's trying to keep Kill Keith check win. Uh, yeah, exactly. There is a serial killer on the loose, you know. 
and it's all about celebrity cameos and shit like that. Whereas this is just, it's porn without the porn. I don't see the point of it, really. But anyway, so enough of, of the review, because like I say, I'm not going to review porn. I'm never going to review porn. And porn is banned from being reviewed on this podcast, as you well know, Steve. And yet Steve keeps trying. Keeps, keeps trying. Um, but I had, like I said, I had a look on the IMDB page for this and the plot keywords made me laugh an awful mm. lot. So that's what this week's quiz is going to be. What, what were the plot keywords, though? Well, so the quiz this week is between you two. Uh, you're, you're playing off against each other. And I've prepared five multiple choice questions each. And all you have to do is guess correctly which of the following plot keywords from Emmanuel in Space, episode six, one final fling on the IMDb page, which of the, the keywords are real and which one is fake. Steve, you can go first. Okay. Multiple choice, which is fake. Sex in missionary position. Reverse cowgirl sex position. Scissoring sex position. One of those is not on the IMDb page. Can you tell me what year Emmanuel in Space was released? 94, if that helps. 94. Right, I'm going to rule out scissoring. Okay. I don't think that was probably a... I didn't hear that term much until the last of the few years, so I don't... <laughs> Are you trying to apply logic? I know, yeah. <laughs> I've got to pick the false one, haven't I? I think that's the false one. You think that's the false one? Yeah, plus I don't think there was probably many lesbian scenes in Emmanuel in Space. Well, you are correct. Scissoring sex position is the fake keyword. There we go. Apply some logic to this quiz and you'll, you'll do fine, Maya. Oh, sugar. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on that note, Maya, which of these is the fake one? Panties pulled down, high heels <laughs> kicked off, or bra removing? Oh, it's got to be bra removing. That doesn't sound very sexy at all. Steve's taken an early lead. Oh. Yeah, it was high heels kicked off is the fake one. Oh, dear. Steve. Right. We've got man wearing a toga, woman wearing a towel, and man and woman undressing each other. Um, mm. Towel one. Oh, no, you've slipped up. No, it's uh, actually man wearing a toga is fake. Uh. Yeah. Maya, your turn. Okay. Buxom, nipples and toes. One of those is fake. Um, mm. I'm going to go with buxom. <gasps> uh, Steve's still in the lead. Oh, bollocks. It, toes. Uh, bollocks isn't on there either. No. <laughs> Maybe it should be, though. But anyway. Steve, back to you. Male rear nudity. Full frontal male nudity. Bare-chested male. <laughs> I think it's... Male full frontal nudity because I remember hearing before that on the television mm -hmm. that this was ever shown on the television in the UK they in in like sex scenes and even on like television X which I still can't believe is still going I don't know who's subscribing <laughs> to that but they can't show men with erections so it, it's got to be I can't imagine them just showing a man with a floppy cock. <laughs> Well, logic again has won you through. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Two All nil. the easy ones. Yeah. Okay, Maya. We've got 
female rear nudity, breasts, and backside. <laughs> backside. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, female. The first one. Female rear nudity. That's the one, yeah. Oh, no. It's oh, backside. So you're relying on Steve to mess this one up now. Okay. Is this one tits, arse, or men? <laughs> <laughs> it is not, no. no. I fear this um, this quiz seems to be a bit biased towards um, Steve. But Owen, Owen would surely not make quiz biased towards me because he wants to make me watch awful films. Hmm. It serves him no purpose to win, <laughs> uh, for me to win. I've got the questions prepared. I'll switch them around if you want, so you can have Steve's questions no, for this no, one. No, no, we'll keep going. Keep going? Yeah. You've, you've just questioned Owen's integrity. <laughs> You mean that? <laughs> uh, right. Well, he just said the words tits to me on my first time on the show, so. Oh, yeah, you know, right. if this isn't an icebreaker, I don't know what the fuck is, so. <laughs> okay, Steve. He is renowned for being a chauvinist pig. Right, that's true. I am the misogynist of the podcast, clearly. Right, Steve. Sex in kitchen, sex on couch, woman on top. I reckon sex in kitchen. I reckon there was definitely couches in that film and the woman was definitely on top in one, in that film. So oh, I would there have been um, an, an IMDb tag for it? But then you did tell me that they were eating cherries and cream, so you know, they must be in the kitchen at some point to get them. <laughs> no, I'm going to go sex in kitchen. Sex in kitchen. Yeah. Is correct. Steve has won. He knows his <laughs> softcore porn. Wow. I'm not at all um, disappointed there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want the last few just for laughs? Go on then. What? Yeah. Yeah. Maya, you've got. Uh, well, I don't know whether you have, but the question is: <laughs> clamps, <laughs> feather, or caressing? Oh God. Um, I'm gonna go with clamps. Oh, you've got a point as well. You've got it. <laughs> okay, and finally, then the last question was uh, for Steve: masturbation. Lesbian sex or threesome? You just looking at my circle. <laughs> <laughs> Probably lesbian sex. No, if there was lesbian sex. Yeah, masturbation was the fake. Uh, and then my other last one you had was either breast fondling, foreplay, or fingering. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go with foreplay. It was fingering. Was the fake. <laughs> You obviously totally don't know your softcore porn as well, no. Steve. Yeah, but I, th- I think fingering's a very UK term. I think. Yeah. I don't think it would translate. But I don't think. Never heard fingering used by a member of a different nationality. <laughs> and why would you? Why would well, you? Yeah. yeah. On to the news. <laughs> Swiftly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really know if we should be fun. Well, it links quite nicely because George Lazenby was James Bond and he was also in an Emmanuel film. Um, so that links into, uh, obviously, the, the tragic passing of Sir Roger Moore this week, the, the star of James Bond. Um, the Saint, I want to say. Mm, I'm sure that's how we would love to be remembered. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording the podcast. Uh, and I kind of asked the question if either of you have any affinity to Roger Moore and uh, the answer was kind of a unanimous no not really but, but it's the, the thing with Roger Moore mm-hmm. is, is is that I'm, I'm not a huge <clears throat> James Bond fan mm-hmm. I like the films that I've seen I've not really gone back and watched much prior to Piers Brosnan taking over as Bond mm-hmm. 
I've only really known him and, and Daniel Craig as Bond. And, and unlike the other actors who played James Bond, forgetting the ones who did the one-offs of George Lazenby and Timothy Dalton, the ones who played him for a period, he didn't seem to do much else. Well, he was... He in... the, oh, he did, but he didn't seem to have the biggest or most renowned back catalogs as Sean Connery's done quite a few other films, mm-hmm. um, as has Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig and Etc. Etc. He doesn't seem to have have a bigger a bigger back catalogue. So I mean, he has done uh, you know quite a lot actually, and people forget that before he was in Bond, he was he was actually quite a big star of TV. You know, he'd done a lot of like quite well known for the time TV shows. He was in something called Ivanhoe, um, which was sort of a medieval TV show, which I think was a spin off from the film, um, which was fairly. Fairly successful. He'd done a few sort of sword and sandals kind of movies. Um, I think he did, I can't remember what it was called, but it was uh, about Romulus and Remus, I think, you know, the founders of Rome, which was okay, which was fine. It wasn't wasn't fantastic. But like even after he started as Bond, he, he, he had appeared in a few other things that people quite, quite often forget that he, I mean, he was in Cannonball Run, for example, you know, the 1981 uh, screwball, comedy where he was basically spoofing himself i haven't seen that in years but, but i mean he he was a very good james bond he was from the cheesy era of bond wasn't he i think it's he yeah because people he, he was bond on the moon wasn't he yeah because people still like even now have the debate of who is the better bond sean connery or roger moore they you know it doesn't matter that we've had however many have been since then um all the, all the people seem to do is just differentiate between the two because they both represent two very different takes on that character, and I'm yeah. you know, I was I was always a Roger Moore over a Sean Connery kind of guy anyway because I just I liked the fun of that era of Bond you know but there's no getting away from the fact that it is incredibly goofy you know some of those films he was in Man with a Golden Gun and stuff has got some very goofy scenes in it. He seemed like a very nice chap as well. Yeah, he did, and I, I always want to. When people mention Roger Moore, I always want to talk about The Man Who Haunted Himself, which has got a fucking great name for a film isn't anyway, hasn't it? The Man Who Haunted Himself. But um, it's a proper, like, British uh, thriller from 1970. about sort of doppelgangers and stuff like that and schizophrenia and uh, paranoia. And it's it's very low-key, but it's actually really good. It's surprisingly good. That's interesting. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty good thriller. Um but he was also in The Quest, <clears throat> which I don't know if either of you two are fans of Jean-Claude Van Damme in the same way that I am, but it is... No one is a, is a fan in the same way as you are. Yeah, probably not. But <laughs> but um, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme directed, Jean-Claude Van Damme starring and Jean-Claude Van Damme written film that also features Roger Moore. Right. So you can't really imagine a film with those two together, can you? No. Not really. It doesn't seem like a natural fit, but um, it's it's okay. It's kind of okay. It's not his best, but for either of them. But yeah, so it's a shame that he's uh, passed, I guess, but, you know, he's left behind probably more decent films than people realise, I think. <laughs> Well, now for what we've been watching, where we take a look at some of the films we've seen 
this week outside of the cinema. Uh, Maya, why don't you start us off with what you have been watching? Okay. Um, oh, and um, we're expecting something really like impressive as well. You know, no pressure, but you know, just something just about to put us to shame. All right, you mean like to mirror um, Brooker's reviews and stuff? You won't have exactly. anything like that. You are on a family of. No. Yeah, that's what, what you're from. I'm on half term. No, I'm on half term <laughs> homework. I'm on half term holiday now, so it yeah. means that I'm, my brain is switched off already. Oh, dear. Um, well, okay. Well, you're fitted, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been watching a load of sci fi films. Um, the one that I absolutely loved and want to talk about is Hollow Man. Um, it is. Paul Verhoeven's 2000, um, year 2000 film, um, starring Kevin Bacon, who is a mad scientist um, that creates a serum, makes you invisible, um, tests on himself, of course, um, and some really weird, unnerving things start happening, including a bit of voyeurism, violence, and I'm pretty sure a bit of invisible man rape. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Rapey, rapey Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yep. Is that the tagline? That, I believe so. That was on the poster. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, really like it. I like my science fiction films and um, the concept of being invisible and, and the science behind it was quite interesting and it really does pose that question that you always want to discuss afterwards is uh, what would you do if, if you were invisible and... Yeah, I just quite like it. It's a nice film to, I guess, create some sort of discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Paul Verhoeven's known for using, um, you know, extremes of science fiction to make kind of social and commentary. Yes, um, yeah. And I think the, the commentary is about when people are given uh, like a, an ultimate power uh, and how it corrupts, and particularly in terms of, you know, men, if they were given full control to do whatever they wanted, then it would not turn out well for women, basically. No. I think and you see that. Yeah, you see that in the, the first thing he does um, with Kim Dickens's character, who is kind of unbutton her blouse, mm-hmm. um, and the woman that he watches in, in from a, across his apartment. Um, it is that whole idea of, you know, very, I guess probably the best way to describe it is that godlike um, mm-hmm. idea of being having all that power and no one to answer to. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and also the fact that Kevin Bacon's character is just an egotist anyway, to begin with. Oh, completely. Um, I didn't realise how much until I watched it again and thought, God, why do I like his character so much? Well, right now I'm sitting there hating him. And I think it is because of that, because mm-hmm. you go through hating him so much to, you know, some of the things he says, um, where he's kept in the lab and everything. It's quite interesting to see how his character starts mm-hmm. losing the plot, really. And well, losing the plot is quite an apt phrase for this film. Anyway. <laughs> I think it goes a little bit awry towards the end of the film anyway. Yeah, it gets a bit violent. It gets quite violent. There's a bit of an A-team-esque escape from a locked room that goes on. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did sit there going, why did she think of that before? Before that woman died or before he did that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is it is a bit silly. And I think if you compare it to some of Verhoeven's um, other films, uh, yeah. you know, Starship Troopers and Robocop, 
comparatively, it's quite shallow um, because it's a bit one note. Yeah, he but, did Total uh, Recall as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. And well, he also did Showgirls, but we don't like to mention that because it's a load of fucking garbage. But um, he's either capable of creating just masterpieces of science fiction or total and utter pieces of crap. Um, yeah. But for some reason, I think Hollow Man's just right in the middle. It is, yeah. There are there are parts of it that are absolute rubbish. Um, um, but for me, the concept and the characters and him especially, Kevin Bacon's character, is just very, very interesting. Being able to look at something like that and, you know, pose those questions and create a debate from it, I think it's quite interesting. And I think Paul um, Verhoeven does that quite often. You said you were on a bit of a sci-fi binge, though. Yeah. What what else have you been watching lately, though? Um, We watched uh, Minority Report last night. Okay. That was one of mine that I thought I wanted to watch as well. Um, And uh, we watched, well, it's not really sci-fi, but it kind of is, Event Horizon as well. Oh, yeah, no, that is. I love love Event Horizon. Yeah, it was it was good. It was you know when we put it on, I was like, I, I can't remember this. I don't remember this film at all. I don't remember this. And then I think we got about twenty minutes into it, and I was like, no, nope, I remember this now. Yeah, the weird sphere-looking mm-hmm. center of the ship. That's when I clicked and realized what I was watching. But um, yeah, a few yeah. of those. Um, I'd like to. I think next on my list, when I get a chance to be the one in charge of what we watch, <laughs> is probably um, going to be Super Eight. Okay, yeah. Quite like that one as well. Yeah, Super 8's very good. Yeah, it's a bit of fun. I quite like it. Mm. Um, but that was Hollow Man. Um, this week, I saw uh, Misery for the first time, the, the film adapted from the Stephen King novel and signed James Kahn and Kathy Bates. And every time I kept planning this introduction in my head, I kept saying Kathy Burke, which is a, which is a very <laughs> different film. But anyway, no, so Kathy Bates, who I... I didn't know too much about. But I'd seen her in a few seasons of American Horror Story, where she was, where she was quite good, um, or good enough in in those shows. Um, so for those who don't know, Jay don't know the story. I'm sure most of you do. James Khan is a writer, or plays a writer who is famous for writing a series of books, um, featuring a woman called Misery, um. He is, he is writing a new book, which has nothing to do with that, uh, and has recently finished what will be his final book in the Misery series. Um, he crashes his car and is rescued by his biggest fan, who is played by Kathy Bates, and who is mental, <laughs> which we find out. It's very good. I sometimes wonder, watching older horror or thriller films, how well they'll stand up you know, if they've stood the test of time, and perhaps it's slightly different if you haven't seen them before a while ago and then you watch them now, but it, it was very tense, uh, even though you kind of know the story because it's been parodied by probably everyone from Family Guy to The Simpsons to whoever else. So you kind of already know the story, you've got an outline in your head of what happens, but it's still very tense. You still don't quite know how it's going to play out. There's some really kind of scenes just sort of grab you for example, it's only really those two characters in the film. There are a couple of others, but it's mainly focused around those two. Um, and then there's a, there's a minor role, kind of the policeman, the small town sheriff investigating what's happened to 
the author. Um, there's a scene where how how much can I spoil misery? Should I just go for it or? Well, I've I've I never know. seen it, but I think I I know that there's the bed scene. Can I say yeah. the bed scene? Yeah, yeah, which is quite famous, right? Yeah, that scene which is, is just sort of it comes out of no even though she's mad and she's crazy, and by the point in time where she does that, you've found out her backstory. You still don't see that coming. It's just like, and there's still a couple other scenes, one involving the, the sheriff that you just don't see coming, and they just out of nowhere. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. It is a really good, really well put together. Through, I mean, Stephen King is is the is the master of writing books of that nature, um, but sometimes works like that, even his works, don't translate so well to the big screen. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, of what one that does or doesn't one that doesn't Rob, Rob, one that doesn't one that doesn't um, well there's things like <laughs> Tommy Knockers which didn't really do because he did because he, he did it which which was which was a good film yeah and that's being remade isn't it um, yeah or being re the new one's being released quite soon there's been a trailer out of it the trailer looks quite good for that as well and there's been other things uh, was it the, is it the last stand no I think it was just that, uh, the stand. Which stand. is his like epic book. Yeah. Um, which I bought, looked at, it's like a fucking tome, and just put it on the side and haven't read it. But I've seen the film, the TV yeah. movie. That's with Trash Man, Trash Man, Trash Bag Man, or something like that. Yeah. yeah um, that was quite good. And, 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 you know, away from horror, he's done like, he's done Stand By Me, hasn't he? Did he do Shawshank Redemption? The book? He did. I got that complete. No, Tell Shawshank, me. Green Mile. A lot of his um, films do translate very well to the big screen. Um, and and misery, yeah, it's just anyone who's thinking I don't want to watch misery because it's an older film. Um, I don't really know anything about any of the actors in it. Uh, just just watch it. It's really good, really tense. I watched it with my girlfriend, and she was actually you know shocked by a couple of scenes. She really enjoyed it as well. Um, creeped her out a bit of times, which is what a film should like that should do. Um. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It is a great film. I watched uh, another King adaptation that I hadn't seen before this week as well, weirdly, which I wasn't really going to talk about. But as you've mentioned, Misery, I watched um, The Dead Zone. Have either of you seen right. that? No. No, I don't think so. It's directed by David Cronenberg, you know, master of body horror, and it's a King adaptation, and it's got big names in it. Christopher Walken is the lead. And it's got Michael Sheen in it as well. So uh, Martin Sheen, I should say. It, that's really that's that was surprisingly good. And it, I think that's exactly what you you were saying, Steve. That sometimes you look at these old Stephen King adaptations, uh, particularly those from sort of late eighties through to the kind of mid nineties, and you just think, you know, they're not going to be The Shining. They're not going to be Green Mile. Then they're probably going to be made for TV and not particularly great but more often than not i've been surprised by them yeah um it, it made me want to watch more or, or even read more stephen king mm -hmm. um, pet cemetery is good pet cemetery is a good place yeah. to start if you've not seen that oh i couldn't watch that i got to the last i think it was the last half hour or so and i got brooks to turn it off it, it freaked me out i couldn't do it cats and kids no thank you it's um there's also the uh Achilles thing, right? Oh, which is like yeah. another of Stephen King's motifs, which is being crippled. Because, you know, I mean, the whole thing about Misery was that he was hit by a car and 
crippled, right? That's well, exactly he's, he's, he, was in a, he was in a car accident in, in misery. And then he? was, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's like a, a running thing through most of his films. Yeah. You know. So, but yes, but uh, anyway, so there's there's plenty of good Stephen King adaptations out there. Sometimes they come back. I was surprised by. I thought that looked like it would be turd, but it was on Netflix, and I gave it a go, and that was quite fun. Um, but very, very Stephen King. It's every single Stephen King trope you could imagine is put into that film. Yeah, but he's he's obviously a a master of his craft. It's done well. Of, of sort of horror writing. Um, but that was uh, Misery. Owen, what have you seen this week? Um, I saw a couple of comments cropping up in a few different places uh, about a new Netflix original movie, which is called War Machine, which you may have seen advertised. Which this is the, This is the Brad Pitt one. Yeah, so it's written and directed by uh, an Australian filmmaker, David McCode, McCod, 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 M-I-C, H O uh with like a numlo thing and then D. Uh, oh no, wait, it's not a numlo. Umlo is a two dot I don't know. Anyway, O with a slanty thing over the top of it. Right. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I- I'm getting off track. So these comments that I've read were not good. <laughs> well, for example, and I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him, uh, but I saw a comment from a friend of the podcast, a uh, listener of the, the podcast, goes by the name, the internet pseudonym, Gandhi's Flip Flops, which is a great internet pseudonym. Lovely. Have one. Yeah. He, um, he said, I got one hour into the Pip movie before I sacked it off. It's utter shite. That seems to be the general consensus at the moment. I saw a lot of other comments along those lines too. You know, I got 30 minutes in and packed it in. And uh, ultimately, it's just an oddity that cannot be categorised, which I thought was quite intriguing. And everyone's favourite moan on Twitter recently, Netflix is killing movies, which was said about it. So although I would kind of refuse to believe that the latter comment was anything more than just an ironic jibe, perhaps. But um, yeah, so basically, it got quite late on Saturday. I knew I'd be spending Sunday kind of working on uni stuff all day. So it was pretty much my only window. I had two hours Saturday evening to watch something to talk about on this podcast. And uh, I flicked on to Netflix and War Machine popped up. And being the uh, curious um, knobber that I am, I gave it a spin. Um, The plot, basically, it stars Brad Pitt, as Steve said, as a somewhat eccentric US Army general called Glenn McMahon, who is uh, deployed to Afghanistan during Obama's time in office uh, after serving kind of valiantly in Iraq. And it's sort of based on real events, particularly those that happened to a guy called uh, General Stanley McChrystal, uh, who was a real-life general. And the plot of the film follows a lot of, broadly what happened to to him uh because it's adapted the film's adapted from a book called the operators by michael hastings i would describe this film as a satirical combat film with only one short but pivotal pivotal combat sequence in it it's a war film that's set around the people in the war rather than um focusing on the war itself um although 
no, I mean that's somewhat inaccurate anyway, because it's very it is very much centered on the war in Afghanistan too. Um, basically, it's the most conventional war film that it's possible to make without including any combat in it. If you kind of exclude that one, that one scene. Um, so the soldiers who are serving under General McMahon, they're introduced one by one, as they always are in combat movies. You've got the one guy from one place in America. Here's another guy from a totally different part of America, and here's another guy from another part of America. And oh, they all get along. You know, it's kind of that's the standard introduction to characters in in war movies. Uh, doesn't matter from which decade, whether it's revisionist war movies or classical war movies, they all do exactly the same thing. This is no different. And the film is also narrated all the way through. Uh, it's, so it's narrated by and then kind of latterly features Scoot McNary, who is always, always great in everything. He plays a journalist from Rolling Stone magazine. He's granted the like privilege of following these soldiers around uh, Afghanistan and Europe and tries to capture what it is that they really do. Uh, and more importantly, I guess, why they, they do what they do. What it comes down to is these guys have prepared their whole lives to fight and win a war. And like General McMahon is like the epitome of that. So the film's most poignant scene, uh, which ignites like the final act of the film, is where Tilda Swinton is in the, the crowd uh, at one of McMahon's like um, recruitment drive things. He's trying to get more troops from their international uh, colleagues. And basically... Tilda Swinton stands up and questions his motivation for doing what he's doing. And there are so many scenes in this film that are, they break the mould because it's like, it's, it's meant to be a comedy, right? But it's got these really quite intelligently crafted and poignant bits in it. And they're usually delivered by outside characters you know you've got these recognizable actors and actresses who pop up and they just do one or two short bits but they're really quite integral uh in changing mood and stuff so like Tilda Swinton's in it uh Ben Kingsley's in it uh there's a couple of really good scenes involving the Keith Stanfield uh and then at the very end you get Russell Crowe as well which is kind of weird to see interesting um so I mean before I mean have you guys seen this film yet I, I mean I should have no. asked before no. I carried on had you heard about it though? Yeah, I think I had. Yeah, I think um, yeah. was looked at a trailer and Just went, a trailer. Ah, it "Looks interesting." Yeah, that's what, basically what I thought. Mm, it looks kind of interesting, and then I saw all the negative reviews, uh, and I, I think they're way off the mark on this one. Um, all of the performances are really good, but Brad Pitt is getting a lot of stick for this, but he's doing something which is rare for him, which is like a quirky character. I mean, it's not quite as extreme as, like, Snatch or, um, you know, Interview with a Vampire or um, Burn After Reading, you know. He's certainly, like, doing his best to be unrecognisable, which is a good thing, in my opinion. Because it's the first time in ages where I've seen Brad Pitt in a film and not just constantly thought, hey, that's Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, like, I saw Allied last year, which is another war film, uh, which he's the central character in and it was hard to look past the whole time that the main character is just a pouty moody brad pitt um but here he's like he looks unusual he's got gray hair which you don't normally see 
but Brad Pitt he's got um peculiar mannerisms and like gestures a bit of like stilted speech and it's just really entertaining it's really funny um and the I mean, I don't want to give away any of the best bits of the film, but there's like a scene at a dinner table, which just had me laughing out loud. And I think that's like another important thing about the film is that as clever as an anti-war film and a satire of this kind of American um, gunko nature as the war machine is, it's also really funny. It's really dry and satirical and it just pulls everything off that I think it's trying to do we we just talked about like our favorite comedy films on a podcast like a few episodes ago and I think just to grab a few comparisons from that it's it isn't Borat and it isn't Four Lions in terms of like side splitting satirical gags but it's just funny impressive performances good ensemble cast good quality writing um and it has something relevant to say so, yeah. Oh, 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 the other thing I was going to mention about it, I saw um, Ben Chaloner, who's from the Sun Double Deep podcast, he wrote a review on Letterboxd, and he said it had a Coen Brothers vibe about it. And I think he's, like, absolutely spot on. It is totally a Coen Brothers light, um, which is absolutely fine by me. So, yeah. I said on Twitter after I watched it, like, that it's my favourite Netflix original movie. And I know that's not, like, particularly stiff... Competition when you think of all the shit Adam Sandler shite that's just plaguing it at the moment. But it's definitely true. I just don't get why so many people seem to hate War Machine. For me, it's it's a definite recommend. I really, really liked it. Okay. That was War Machine. A couple of new releases to review for you now uh which will be baywatch and pirates of the caribbean five i can't remember the tagline <laughs> salazar's revenge salazar's revenge that's the one uh we're going to start it, off yeah i was just gonna say it also has another name as well which is dead men tell no tales so we get for some reason salazar's revenge in the uk in america it's dead men tell no tales right Weirdly. basically pirates of the caribbean five is, uh, yeah. yeah, they do that sometimes in in America. Then they change it. For, it wasn't um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone something different in America. Was it sorceries or something like that? Something like that, because they didn't know what a philosopher was or something. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, there's always a flimsy reason. But anyway, but uh, yeah, so me and Maya have seen Baywatch, uh, which stars Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Are we calling him The Rock? Are we calling him Dwayne Johnson? Is it Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Which bits he dropped? Which bits he keeping? Don't know. Doesn't matter. Zach Efron, um, Alexandra Daddario, mm-hmm. and other people in a movie adaptation of the 80s, 90s TV show starring um, David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no one knows. it doesn't matter you could say any of the names from the original no one knows or cares you know yeah. Pamela Anderson and, <laughs> and Hasselhoff yeah David Hasselhoff who defeated uh, communism and brought down the Berlin Wall that's him that's, that's, that's a fact that's an, that's an actual historical fact that's taught in schools I believe <laughs> hmm. um, but yes anyway so this is the the, the long awaited 
uh, and, and much called for TV, uh, movie adaptation of the, the show. Um, and essentially it, it, it boils down to being a, a buddy cop or buddy lifeguard um, action comedy with Zac Efron and, and The Rock at the front and centre, which is fine because it's just fun. It's some good jokes and some good action set pieces, and it's it's fine. That's that's about what you can say. Is it's trying to be something like Jump Street, and it's not as good as Jump Street, but it's a fun way to waste a couple of hours. It is, yeah. That's exactly how I described it to Brooks. It's, it's not as good as um, Twenty One Jump Street, but it has. It's not taking itself too seriously, and I I really enjoyed it when I first heard they were going to do a Baywatch movie rolled my eyes and thought that's got to be ridiculous too many you know boobs and hanging out of the uh swimming costumes that we we're gonna but see it, object- it objectifies the men just as much it objectifies the women just, this film no exactly i was gonna say it's gonna be it's just gonna be a lot of um you know muscle or boobs and then if i you, saw the if trailer you obje- if you if you objectify everyone and don't discriminate against who you're objectifying it's fine but then, did it, I mean, I got a text from Paul about this, and the only thing that he told me about it was that it starred, and this is his quote, Alexandra Double D Daddario. That was it. <laughs> Which I think tells you everything you need to know about, about Paul. I'm pretty sure yeah. she's the one not even with the biggest boobs in that. Really, that is going some, because she has enormous knockers. Well, Pamela, she... Anderson, Pamela Anderson does cameo in it. Oh, does she? Yeah. Yes. Her, her, her and Hasselhoff do have a cameo. Yeah, they do. But I think the... the um, I don't know her the actress's name, but the one that plays CJ, I'm pretty sure her boobs are much bigger. Really? And there's a lot more slow motion bounce in them as well. <laughs> so... Yeah. I say they screen test, isn't it, for this? They must have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Run slowly in this swimsuit. Uh, you get the part. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I really liked it. Yeah, it was. it's just... I mean... Zac Efron's getting a, a a kind of well, he's he's done um, was it Bad Neighbors and Bad Neighbors Two, where yeah. he's he's quite good in comedies like that, but he also was awful in was it Dirty Grandpa or Bad Grandpa, oh. the one with De Niro. I think that's Bad Grandpa. Doesn't matter whichever whichever <laughs> grand whichever Grandpa film he was in with De Niro, and that wasn't very good. But I, I still think he's trying to find what kind of actor he wants to be mm. yeah but think, he can do, he can do these comedies quite well he is yeah. a very attractive man yeah I, I was gonna say i think he's found um he's, he's got some good comic timing in some of the films that i've seen him in and yeah he, i think he bounces off of um the rock quite well i think they work yeah, well together and that's what made him quite funny in the film the rock has got action or action comedy nailed now oh he has yeah and he's and he's a very charming um, person, I think Zac Efron. It will depend who he's he's working off. I mean, he worked off very well of of Seth Rogen in Bad Neighbors. Yeah. So it, I think it depends who he's paired with, and if he's got somebody that he can bounce off of quite well or, or not. I mean, I know we've seen De Niro do comedy in Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents, etc. But he's not an out and out comic actor, so maybe that's why that film didn't work so well because Zac Efron didn't. Couldn't bounce off it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a fun action comedy which you can watch it quite happily for a couple of hours and you won't you won't regret it, but you won't probably be clamouring to watch it again in a hurry. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I think one of my favourite characters in that, obviously apart from The Rock, 
um, <laughs> was uh, John uh, Bass, who played Ronnie, the basically the comic relief character. Yeah, I thought he did a really good job, and he was quite funny. I, I really liked him. But then I always liked the kind of sweet underdog characters, and I think he was brilliant in that. Um, so that was Baywatch. Uh, so next review is then um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Five Salazar's Don't Tell No Tales. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. Who's, who's going to do the wire pirates called pirates joke? Because they are. There we go. That's not oh, out of the way. <sighs> We've got it out of the way. We can carry on with reviewing the film now. Um, so, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. I've not seen this one myself. I kind of got bored of them after the third. I like. I really like the first one and the second one, and then I just kind of got bored of them. I don't even think I've seen the fourth one, but I did think Johnny Depp is. He's great in all of them that I've seen as, as Jack Sparrow. Um, I mean, you probably won't be disappointed with this then because he is Jack Sparrow again. Yeah. You know, no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. He's doing more Jack Sparrow. Um, I only saw this today and uh, I have only seen the first two. I remember very little about either of them. And to me, they were just completely forgettable. Big blockbuster stuff um i have i'm not keen on them and um, i went to see this one i thought that from the trailer that dead men tell no tales or salazar's revenge whatever you want to call it i thought it would be exactly the kind of film it is which is another fun for parts of it but mostly just like i saw it with elisa and she her, her opinion of it was it's just like going to you know universal studios or and sitting on the ride, not Universal. What am I talking about? You know, Disneyland and sitting on the ride. You know, that's what it feels like. The whole film is just here's a funny bit. Here's like a oh, this is quite exciting. We're going forwards, now we're going backwards, kind of bit. The whole film just runs like you're on a ride, like a roller coaster or something. And so, in, to that end, I think it does what it's supposed to do. But Again, I won't. By the time the year's over, I won't even remember anything about it. I guarantee I will have forgotten by uh, all about it by sort of by the time we get to November, it will have gone completely from my mind. You may be of a different opinion, uh, Maya, because I know Brooker really liked it according to his review. Um, yeah, I went to see it before him. He had to look after the tiny okay. one. Um, but I know I quite liked it. But it, I agree with. It is just a Pirates of the Caribbean film. If you know, mm-hmm. if you want to go looking for something different and more exciting, and you know, developed characters, you're not going to get that. If you're going in looking for Johnny Depp being Jack Sparrow and a couple of cool-looking pirates and special effects and a little bit of fun, that's what you're going to get. You know, I thought Johnny Depp was brilliant, but then I liked all the other films. Um, like you, Steve, I kind of started getting a bit bored around three um but we watched uh, they're all they're all quite the same aren't they yes they're very formulaic yeah and it's only, it's only so far that like johnny depp's charisma as jack sparrow it will carry it because he is i still think in all the films he is good in that role but he can only be as good as what the film gives him yeah they make him and in the, and in the first one it was all very new um we hadn't kind of seen a, a big budget 
pirate film, perhaps even since Cutthroat Island, which ruined it for everyone. <laughs> I think I think I remember reviewing Cutthroat Island when I was reviewing some of the biggest box office bombs, and it was pretty much said that that film ruined blockbuster, big budget pirate films for everyone because it was that bad. No one would take a risk on it mm-hmm. or, or on them, um, and then. Pirates of the Caribbean came along, so it was it was completely new. No one had done a big budget pirate film for however long that might have been. It might have been like twenty years, and well, no one's yeah, really no one's really like taken Hook before um, but, Island was but, you know it's a Peter Pan thing. It's like it meant yeah. to be like people like pirates, right? Because it's about yeah. Hook as much as it's about Pan. Yeah, yeah, and then Cut to the Island, right? Killed it, but I think yeah. that they Disney. <laughs> They've got a bit more clout anyway. And, you know, putting something like Pirates of the Caribbean together was kind of a marketing gimmick anyway. So even if it failed, if it put more bums on seats, so to speak, in their actual... In their theme park, yeah. Yeah, the theme park, then, you know, it, it made its money back. Yeah. You know. Definitely. It just happened to be that it turned into this um, unstoppable seeming but, but I just think it, I just think the first one because it was do no one seen big budget pirate films for so long and because Johnny Depp really nailed that character as well it just helped it be a big success which then spawned sequels but then by the time you get to the third and the fourth one people are then starting to get bored of it because they don't really do anything different it's always there's some old pirate who's possibly dead but is like a ghost He's trying to get Johnny Depp's character because he's a bit of a dick and he's done something to uh, to annoy them. So you have seen this film? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's pretty much Should, all four of them are. Shall I tell you, you what though? That that's the successful formula for them yeah. for Disney. Yeah, they're not going to change not, I'm not, it. I'm not I'm doubting not... that, but I'm just, just explaining why kind of people might get bored of them after a while. But then they're quite family friendly films as well, aren't they? There's they're something very, for yeah. there's something for everyone in them. So you could quite happily get, you know, a couple, an adult couple going to watch it or teenagers on a date going to watch it or mum and dad taking three kids at half term week to go and see it yeah. or whatever. It appeals to everyone. It's That's exactly what this is, though. That's that's all it is. It's like a family movie. It's it's mostly aimed at kids. And, you know, have a Bardem plays um, Captain Salazar, who is the ghost this yes. time. You know, yeah. obviously they have a undead captain hellbent on revenge and to be fair he does all right it does what he's supposed to do if you're sort of six seven years old the kind of yes. target market for this you're gonna find him quite creepy yeah i think i but think he probably was quite not good many other people will yeah. yeah he definitely by the books definitely a formulaic kind of villain but you're right it's he, gonna scare the little ones and that's about it and i would probably say that i'll tell you what i like the sharks and I like some of the CGI and the effects in there. And it was just, you know, it's a good, fun family film. If you're going in expecting something completely different, you're not going to get it. If you're going in yeah. expecting a Pirates of the Caribbean film, that's exactly what you're going to get and you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, there's a MacGuffin they chase, which is the Trident of Poseidon, yep. which is going to end every curse at sea. Um, so they're all chasing this thing. So you've got Johnny Depp, obviously, as Captain Sparrow. You've got... Kaya Scudelario, Scudelario, her. Yeah. She is the horologist, an astronomer. Yep, Karina. She's, yeah, 
she's um, chasing the uh, the trident, but not really. I don't know. Yeah, she's, it's some sort anyway. of a map that no man can read. Yeah, and she wants to read it because her dad left her this thing when she was an orphan, and etc., etc. Um, you've got Brenton Thwaites, who is Orlando Bloom's son. So this film is set nine years on from. I don't know if it's the end of the last film. I didn't watch it. I think it, it is. But yeah, they, yeah, it is. The, so they've brought Orlando Bloom back, haven't they? For two scenes. He's in two because, scenes. He's in but, at the very but, beginning. But there's, there's obviously open for him to appear in sequels now because of his... Definitely. Yeah, because yeah, of... Yeah, Well, he's back. And, and there's, let's face it, now there's not many hobby films being made anymore. He needs some work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's free to work again. He is... He, didn't really take off like he wanted to, did he? Um, not saying he's a good or a bad actor, but he's not a kind of. I think possibly after the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he's expecting to go quite big, and it didn't quite happen. He did, yeah, he did Lord of the Rings and he did Kingdom of Heaven, which are like two mm. massive epics. He did a Three yeah. Musketeers film, didn't he? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he did. Which uh, no he, one talks about anymore. Yeah, he did an episode of Extras as well, of course. Yeah, most people did. Um, but he's not in it for very long. He basically sets up the premise for Brenton Thwaites' storyline, which is to lift the curse on his dad and bring him back to life. So he needs to get the trident. That's his MacGuffin. You know, it's full of that. Jeffrey Rush is involved again. And to be honest, I think he's the best thing about this film. He was brilliant. Jeffrey Rush is great. He's He is a little bit of like the Yondu for this film. If you know, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy two, and Salazar's yeah. Revenged closely. They're very similar types of characters. Um, you know, well, Ravagers are just pirates anyway, aren't they? Guardians, but um, so there's a lot of sort of similarities between their two storylines. Um, which I don't know if it counts as a spoiler, but no, I'm not going to say. It. I'm not going to say. It. They do have lots of broad similarities, though. But Jeffrey Rush just nails it. The only other thing I was going to say, well, two other things I was going to say, the skits in this film, particularly at the beginning where they rob a bank, <laughs> which is your reintroduction to Johnny Depp. That's it's quite brilliant. fun. Yeah. yeah, that was quite a, a nice, fun introduction um, or reintroduction to everybody. Uh, and the other bit was with a guillotine, which I thought oh, was quite funny. God. That was brilliant. Yeah. I, my, I, I watched it 2D and my stomach yeah, was churning as I was watching that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the pirate ship um, fairground mm. ride, um, but that that did make me feel <laughs> like I was going to be quite sick, and I thought I would never yeah. have been able to watch, watch that in uh, 3D. It's uh, <laughs> it is very uh, nausea inducing, um, even in 2D. Yeah, and um, it's brilliant though. Yeah, really fun. Nice, nicely worked into the story, and it doesn't feel like it's tacked on for 3D. It feels like it's got some kind of more to it, something more to it. Yeah. Um, but, but it was funny. Funny you were saying that you liked the, the sort of visuals of it. I thought like the cinematography was kind of naff. Didn't really work for me. I just thought it was a bit sloppy. Yeah, I think but... I found the the. Uh... The sharks probably the best yeah. thing for me, and um, obviously the kind of dead pirate ship, mm. if you want to call it that. That was yeah, quite good. Yeah, it sort of stomps through everything. Yeah, but the people, including um, Salazar, they they were okay to physically look at. Ultimately, for me, it hasn't. 
rekindled any uh, fascination with the series. I'm definitely not going to go back and watch them again. Um, but I don't think it's the kind of film that's designed to do that. I think you're meant to take each new generation of six, seven, eight-year-olds to go and see each new one in the cinema, and they'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. You don't have to know the story. You don't have to know the law, mm. like we've sort of established at the beginning. It's the same thing each time anyway. It's exactly the same thing, so it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. We don't normally do this, but if you were going to rate this one, particularly because you've seen the, the previous films, how would you compare it to others? What sort of um, ranking does it get? I would probably... I'd probably put it around third place. Third? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, the first two for me, then this one, and then the other two, because by the time I got to three and four... I'd started losing interest and wanted something different and Johnny Depp's character just became more of a caricature of, mm. a, you know, a drunken pirate. And it, for me, became a bit more eye-rolling. But I'd probably put it in a third, possibly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Which is at the bottom, then? Ah. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, now I need to remember which one's which for three and four. Yeah, that's a pretty tough question to ask, isn't it? <laughs> doesn't that answer the question, though, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I can't remember which one's the difference between three and four. Um, probably three. Interesting, yeah. Like I say, I don't, I don't know which one I've really seen. I don't know if it's the second or third, but, uh, yeah, they're just much of a muchness for me. Okay, that was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 5. So just one more thing to do before we knock it on the head for this week's podcast, and that is to recommend you some films to watch. I am going to start us off with it's just gone back onto Netflix and I do tend to recommend it when I see it because it's a nice little time with us as it was the first film we ever reviewed as a main release. That's Cabin in the Woods. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, Owen? So uh, it's a bit of a cop-out, I guess, because I'm just going to recommend War Machine. I, I genuinely want more people to watch it so that it, it gets a higher profile because it's it is a really good film like when i checked on imdb on saturday evening after watching the film it had a five out of ten rating i checked again just before we started the podcast today and it's up to 6.2 out of 10 now so what i'm hoping is as more people see war machine it will keep improving its rating until it's kind of where it deserves to be so i am going to recommend war machine it's a bit of a cheat but you know check it out on netflix if you if you get chance. I mean, the other thing that I should say, just thought, just occurred to me, Fargo season three starts on Wednesday on Channel 4, which we've reviewed the series on here a couple of times. Um, I think Brian reviewed it most recently. But I'm really looking forward to that. More so than The Handmaid's Tale, which did any, did any of you watch that yet? No, I've, I've heard of it, seen its adverts, and it does look quite good. And I've heard the book's fantastic, but uh, not watched it yet no okay so that's just started uh on channel four as well i think that was on sunday yeah that was on yeah kind of a dystopian futuristic tale all i got from it was all men are rapists and women don't like being raped that's the moral of the story <laughs> okay uh, Maya? um i'm gonna go with netflix as well we've got the house of cards um i think it's series five now that starts tomorrow so tuesday um back on netflix and i'm also going to put a little shout out to um sing that's out on blu-ray at the moment nice okay uh so uh, what are we doing next week well next week it's funny you should say that steve <laughs> because uh 
we're seeing Wonder Woman and Maya, you're back two weeks in a row. I am, yeah. Yeah, and we'll also be joined by Chris Hake. And I think we were planning a triple bill, but we'll see what happens with that. We'll see. But yeah, Wonder Woman, quite looking forward to that now. Getting a lot of praise. And, you know, that's if I can get in. If there aren't women-only screenings all over the country, then I'll be able to... <laughs> No. Yeah. Just put a wig on, you'll be fine. I'll get away with it. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I'll just go full on Silence of the Lambs, took it between the... No, sorry, <laughs> carry on. Okay, well, that is all for this week's Failed Critics podcast. So thank you all for listening. And thank you, Maya, for joining us on your, your first podcast with us. How did you find it? Um, Yeah, it was good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being gentle with me. Yeah, gen- that was Minus gentle. the quiz. Good. Minus the yeah. quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with contributions from different guests every week with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit remixed by James Yule who you can find at jamesyule.com You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics on iTunes and all good podcast apps or you can check us out at failedcritics.com If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review and why not check out our sister podcasts Character Unlock and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening.